In the name of the true and living God. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When he was a young painter, Chuck Close was known for his fine brushwork. And the preferred, uh, preferred object that he would paint would be portraits of people, and specifically the face of a person. Which is an incredible thing because Chuck Close, the artist, struggled with a somewhat rare disease that colloquially is called face blindness. It means that he had a difficult time recognizing faces in three dimensions. But so what he would do to paint these, these large seven or eight foot tall canvases that were just a portrait of a person's face is that he would take a photograph and then he would divide the photograph into grids and then paint each little quadrant, each little square um, on the canvas that was mapped out in the exact same way as the photo that he used for his source, but just blown up larger. And because of his incredible technical ability, you could stand and look at one of his portraits, and you would think you were looking at a photograph blown up really large. But then when you get up close to it, you see the little subtle brush strokes. And something uh, powerful happens with painting like that. There's a depth to it. But he also would challenge himself, and you could tell this is already challenging, but he would challenge himself further. And sometimes instead of using brushes, he would use stamps of different darkness. Or he would use a thumbprint using a stamp pad. And you can see these portraits that he did that are like grayscale, just kind of like pixels on a printer that create a bigger image and that surprise you in the way that they do it. Unfortunately, um, later in life, and, and he just passed away in August at the age of 81, he had a slightly complicated fall from grace, but his life and his art is remarkable. Especially considering that when he was in his late 40s, he was giving a lecture one day in December of 1988, he suddenly felt an incredible pain. And so he left as soon as the lecture was over, he made his way to the ER. And while he was in the ER, he suffered a seizure and a spinal artery collapse, which left him paralyzed from the neck down. And he had to work through physical therapy for years to regain the ability to move. But he was wheelchair-bound for the whole rest of his life, but he continued painting. And what he ended up doing is devising a way where he couldn't hold the paintbrushes anymore, but he devised a way where he would tape a paintbrush onto his wrist. And then he could reach the canvas by devising a mechanism that would hold these large canvases, move them up and down, and turn them sometimes, that he could paint the little squares out of these parts of the grid from his wheelchair. And he evolved his style so that if you see his later paintings, and you can see them here in DC, we have at the National Gallery of Art, and at the Portrait Gallery. In fact, the portrait of Bill Clinton, the official portrait of him, was done by Chuck Close. And if you look at it, what you will see is it's almost like a collection of paintings. Each little square is a, a collection of color, these blobs of color that, if you look at each one individually, looks like a beautiful little independent painting. Some of them strike you with beauty, some of them just look like chaos. But then if you walk back 
and you gaze upon the whole work, the whole work from a perspective where you can see all of it, a face emerges looking at you, and you see the eyes of the person that he was painting. Each little part makes sense in a new way when we pull back and we see that whole picture. And today we remember the prophets, the ones who foretold the coming of Jesus, and especially today we remember the prophet John the Baptist, who was the last prophet to come before Jesus. And what a prophet can do that most of us struggle to do is to be able to see the whole picture. To step back, to take in that larger view, that most of us tend most of us tend to view life as if we are looking at a Chuck Close painting way too closely. We see the little squares in the grid, sometimes filled with beauty, and sometimes filled with chaos. The color can be strange and senseless, but sometimes we see where it starts to fit together, and then as we step back and we see more, we see our whole lives, we can see how our lives are related to one another. We can see how God is related to it all. And our little lives are revealed as a part of a greater, glorious work. And the prophets remind us that the truth is actually before our eyes, but we just have to learn how to see. The opening words in the gospel that we heard today from Luke speak of the time and the place when Jesus' ministry was about to be announced. And we get a lot of details. It, it said, um, you heard these words, that it was the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's reign when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, Galilee his brother Philip Tetrarch of the territories of Iturea and Trachonitis, Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, and while the high priesthood was held by Annas and Caiaphas. One of the things that happens on Sunday mornings is the people who are reading the readings from the lectern sometimes look for a priest when there's a word they're not quite sure how to pronounce. Um, fortunately, this reading um, isn't ever given to one of the lay readers, but this is one of those. <laughs> but when you hear that, you just got a lot of details about who was ruling and where they were ruling. And if we were reading this uh, centuries ago, you might know who these figures were and it would place it. For us, it doesn't. Except it does tell something. This is where the power was being held. And the very next thing that we hear about the Word of God coming into the world is also specific. It says, the Word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The word did not land where the seat of power happened to be. The word landed out in the wild places, in the darkness, in the desert. One of the things that I love about St. John's, one of the many things I love about here is how interesting it is that we have people that come and worship here every week that live in multiple states multiple different uh, living environments. And, you know, we're, our church here is in a downtown location in a city, but there are parishioners who live in a very rural place, 
and make their way here every Sunday. And now we have people who tune in from all over the place. There, there's a woman who's written many letters thanking us for our weekly services who lives on a cattle ranch in Texas. And if you live like I do in the city, you know at night you hardly ever see stars. But I've been out in the country at other times in my life. And you know when darkness ascends, the stars are there. They've been there the whole time. It's actually a comfort that in the dark places, sometimes we can behold the light more brightly, the real light, as opposed to the artificial light of the city that sometimes we love. When that gets taken away, we can see the true light that we need to see with our eyes. And a part of us awakens as we do. It's a little bit of a, a caution, actually, for all of us at this time, this time of year when you know, there's a lot of celebration, there's a lot of joy. Remember that nature wants to be quiet right now. Nature wants to be dark. Animals, many animals go into hibernation at this time and sleep. And many of us feel tired and wish that we had more time to sleep. And I don't want to uh, be a Scrooge. I don't want to take away from the joy of the holidays and the celebrations, but it's good to keep it in mind that if you're not feeling like running at the frantic pace that so much of the world embraces at a time like now, that that's actually okay. This is a time that's meant for quiet, for reflection, for sitting in the dark so that we can behold the light. Now when John the Baptist does arrive, we learn about what he is proclaiming, and he's actually talking about two specific things. He's calling for people to prepare. Prepare a way, prepare ourselves, prepare a space. Be ready to receive the coming of God, God coming as a young child very soon. And the other thing that he is proclaiming is for us to repent. In other words, to turn. The word repent simply means turn. And he's asking us to turn to this light, this true light. And knowing that, knowing that we are meant to be people who see, we can start preparing ourselves. Knowing that we see now, as Paul said, as if looking in a mirror dimly, but soon we will see face to face. We will see the eyes of God in the face of a, of a baby coming into the world. There was a, an email exchange I had this week with a friend of mine. So we were talking about some of these things. And he sent me uh, a picture, a painting of uh, John the Baptist out in the wilderness done by Rembrandt. I'd never seen it before. And it struck me in the painting about the interplay of darkness and light in that painting which I think is very accurate. Um, him being out in this place of darkness, but testifying to the light as it comes. And my friend pointed out something that really caught my attention. A quote by Rembrandt himself, who said, a painting is not made to be sniffed. A painting is not made to be sniffed, which means Rembrandt is asking us to step back to remove ourselves so that we can stand back and that we can see the whole 
and we can behold the larger picture. Amen.